before you like set out on a path of like what your goal is, like, oh, I want to accomplish this or do this or see this happen in my life. Don't look at those things compartmentalized, zoom out first and say, what kind of life do I want to live? What kind of life do I want to build? It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm going to share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're going to show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, and we're here for the official first session of the entire event. We've got Graham Cochran. Graham, thank you so much for being here and being the kickoff session. How are you doing today, man? Hey, dude, I'm pumped. I'm, I don't know how many times we've done this, but I don't know. Did I, if I ever had the first slot, I'm honored to kick it off, man. Yeah, man, I'm I'm glad to have you on here. I think you you definitely deserve the, the first spot. I was talking um, when I was introducing you before we started here, just about how big of an impact you've had on my life and my business. I remember when I first started out, and at the first conference I ever did, I really hadn't built up very much of anything. This was a completely new business, and you came on, you did an interview, you're part of the events, and it was a huge kind of domino for me. And I've learned a ton from you, just in terms of your mindset and your philosophy about not just how to you know, build a successful business, but also how to really show up and live a full life too. And not to, you know, to just be burnt out the entire time, but you know, to actually care about your lifestyle as well as the business side of things. So, so I really appreciate you and the way that, that you show up and the way that you serve others. And today I thought one of the best ways to kick off the entire event would be having a discussion about some of those topics around productivity and prioritization. And especially considering the fact that during this event, there's going to be all these speakers. There's going to be so much wisdom, so much knowledge, and it kind of reflective of the internet as a whole right now, right? There's so much awesomeness and so much information, but sometimes it can feel overwhelming and hard to, to really know how do we apply all this and how to get the most from it. So what better way to start off the event than talking about that issue directly and sharing some insights from the founder of Recording Revolution, who's built... Uh, YouTube channels, over 600,000 subscribers with millions of views, built a very successful business, uh, music business, and serves uh, musicians uh, all over the world. And with that channel, it really focuses on uh, recording and how to get high-quality recordings in a home studio. And so, I mean, you know, if, if you want to learn more about all those things, go Google Recording Revolution, dig into there. There's like a mountain of amazing, you know, wisdom there. But today, I thought it'd be really helpful to talk about kind of the foundation and the underlying mm -hmm. things that led to led to that channel and led to the success and really how to apply that as musicians to be able to to be able to increase their productivity. So Graham, thanks. Thanks again so much. And uh, to start out with, you know, for anyone that hasn't uh, met you yet, could you just share a little bit uh, about yourself and how you got started doing what you do? Yeah, well, first of all, congratulations on the summit. Again, I'm so proud of you and what you guys have accomplished. I think you epitomize serving people well, and your brand is evident of that people love interacting with modern musician and everything you guys do. So kudos to you and the lineup this year is phenomenal. I saw some familiar faces and some new faces for me. So I'm excited and humbled to be a part of it. So I got started in recording as a musician first, right? I love performing and then I love songwriting. And then I discovered recording in high school and was like, oh my gosh, this is like a third art form surrounding music that I enjoyed. 
went to uh, audio school to learn it more. So that was like my backup plan. If I didn't become a rock star, which I was literally trying to pursue, if that didn't work out, I was like, well, at least I could work in a studio all day and hang out and be around all of this. And that led me into freelance recording and mixing. And then that led me into when I was at a low point in my life in 2009, when we had moved to Florida, we're fellow Florida buddies. So I moved to Florida and I lost a job and was trying to ramp up my freelance work, remote mix. I was doing a lot of remote mixing at the time and mastering. I thought it'd be a cool idea to start blogging and putting out some video content to about what I was doing with my client work to just get some more interest in what I was doing. I didn't know anybody in Tampa at the time. I didn't have any local clientele. So that was my goal was to get more freelance work. And that led into what's the recording revolution. I started the, the YouTube channel, people somehow found the videos. And while it did lead to client work, what most people were interested wasn't was not hiring me, it was like, how do you do what you're doing? Or could that was a really helpful video, the way you explained EQ or compression or whatever it was, something about the way I explained it made sense to them, and they wanted more content. And so I kind of accidentally became a YouTuber and a content creator and a blogger uh, because people asked me for more of it. And that was the beginning of the, the rest of my life so far, which has been an incredible 12-year journey now of becoming an educator, learning what it means to teach in a way that not just gives people information, because I felt like there was plenty of good information out there before I got started. But what I saw was a lack of an ability to make people believe that they could do it themselves, right? So I believe good education is here's the, the information in a simple, clear way. But then you give them a dose of empowerment. They're like, hey, you can actually do this. And it's kind of interesting relating to productivity. I mean, I think overwhelm is a problem. I see that in the recording studio. It's such an overwhelming task to think about sound and microphones. And then you get to mixing and it's just like, oh my gosh. And so people get shut down. And so I felt like it's been my life mission in the music space to help reduce the overwhelm, make it simpler. And I would rather people just get one quick win in some element of it because then they get that confidence and you need confidence to then come back again. So I built a, a career teaching people about music recording. And then in the last three years, I've added in a second business teaching people about how to build online businesses and make them run pretty much on autopilot. So you have more time in your life. So productivity is interesting. I love this conversation because I like to achieve a lot, but I don't actually spend a lot of time doing it because I, like you said, I, I really value other things as well. So that's it's always a fun topic. Heck yeah, man. So on the lines of, of productivity, one of the concepts or the things that, that I, I feel like comes up a lot that is super, super valuable uh, to understand, and I would love to, to hear your take on it, is the 80-20 rule and how you know 20% of the cause, 80% of the results. Could you just share a little bit of detail like for anyone maybe who has kind of heard about it before or, or hasn't heard of it yet and is interested in like becoming more productive, what is the 80-20 rule and how, how does that work? Yeah, so a lot of people have implemented this and taught about this over the years. Sometimes it's called Pareto's principle. There was an, an Italian economist, Vilfredo Pareto, or Vilfred Pareto, who noticed this lopsided like ratio throughout a lot of elements of life. So he had a little garden and he noticed that like 20% of his peas made 80% or 20% of the pods made 80% of his peas, not all the plants were that as fruitful. He saw in the wealth in Italy that 20% of the population in Italy owned 80% of the wealth. If you're in a business, you know that 20% of your products probably generate 80% of your revenue. If you're a songwriter, you probably know that 20% of your songs like get 
80% of the streams, like, and it's not always 20, 80, but it's really that lopsided nature that is a very important concept to understand that not all things are equal. So as far as productivity goes, in anything you're doing, not look at all the tasks you do in your music or in the, if you're a recording engineer in your studio or in your business, all the things you do in a day or a week, and it looks overwhelming, they all look important, but they're not all equally weighted in terms of their usefulness or productivity. So there's actually a small percentage of what you do that actually will lead to the majority of your results. And that's like the magic trick. Like you look at people that are like doing so much. It's what it looks like. They look like they're doing all this. They're everywhere. How do they do that? Because we all know we have the same amount of time in a day. And I think the magic is realizing that you can't do it all. And so if you have the wisdom and the patience to zoom out for a moment and look at what you are doing and identify the 20% that really matters, or maybe it's 10% or 15, whatever it is, do you have the guts to cut or outsource or get rid of the, re the, the remainder of it, knowing that you could do a fifth of the work and get most of the results? Then you have so much more free time to then like either double down on that 20% maybe, or do something else. Like I started a second business, not because I just want to work all the time, but because I had taken the recording revolution and windled it down to like five to six hours a week of my time. And yet the business kept growing. And so that allowed me to, well, I could start another business. I love talking about business. I was doing one-on-one -on -one coaching with people. So why not make another YouTube channel and start it? But that's the magic trick is like, you can't do it all. Don't do it all. Just find the 20%. And if you could find the 20%, your life can look totally different. So good, man. I, I love this. I love this concept. I feel like I've heard this talked about. I've talked about it several times, but every time I hear it, like it kind of reminds me, it's not like a one and done type of thing. You know, it's like it keeps going deeper and deeper. What, what it reminds me of too is the principle of having a lever, right? Like what was it? Galileo or someone said, I can move the moon if you give me a long enough lever or something like that. How a little bit of force applied in the right way can really create huge effect. So I guess one question that comes to mind is for me, there's a couple of things. So and this is almost, I'm always asking this for myself as well, because I feel like I run into this sometimes where I, I recognize like how there's some of these key activities that are so important. And those are the things that are really like the, the main needle movers in my life. But then I still end up filling the space with other stuff. Like it, it tends to just like kind of creep in, you know, and sometimes like I don't necessarily like always like, you know, put away all, the, all those other things. But when I get really like intentional and I think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, like I, should I really be doing this thing? What do you recommend in terms of, do you have any sort of processes or like a way to kind of zoom out? And how do you look at that in your own life? Like, let's say that you do sort of get this awareness that you're like, oh wow, like I'm doing this thing. And I don't think I really need to be doing it. It's not really like that big of an impact. Like what's your process for being able to streamline it? Yeah, it's a great point. Like you, you said it earlier, this isn't a one and done exercise, right? Like this isn't natural. Like what's natural is to, so there's like this re related law and I got nerded out over this when I first read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, because he talked about both 80-20 a lot. His sort of, I, his discourse on 80-20 in that book is worth the price of admission alone. But the other related law is Parkinson's law, which is at work or really anything expands to fill the time you give it. It just always expands. So like if you had to write a paper in college and they gave you two weeks, like it'll, it'll take the whole two weeks to do it because you'll just like fill the time or, you know, but if you had to write it in 24 hours, you would still get it done in 24 hours. So like 
it's the whole, the whole like work expanding. And I think that's more our natural state is we fill our days with crap, you know? So, and part of it is like in America, at least, you know, you've got this 40 hour work week, which was, it was invented really. I think the Ford Motor Company kind of kicked that off because there, there were more hours, people working more hours at the turn of the, the 20th century. And the Ford Motor Company started to say, we got to cap people's work hours at 40 because they're going to die in these factories. This is not good. And then some legislation came out like, yeah, 40 hour work week. But like that was legislated. So then now we're just used to 40 hours. And then we have obviously like people have gone beyond above and beyond that to fill it back up again, because our nature is to want to fill it up. The 40 is arbitrary. And again, that was a lot of manual labor. A lot of us are in sort of intellectual labor. If you're a songwriter, a musician, a lot of this just like the creation of the song or creation of the the brand. If you're in the online business space, like we're creating digital products, that doesn't take as much time, but we're so conditioned to 40 hour work weeks that it almost feels, you almost feel guilty if you don't fill the whole work week. It almost seems like there's this gaping hole that just needs to be filled with crap. And on top of that, we have more stuff to do. You've got social media didn't exist, you know, 20 years ago, you know, email didn't exist 30, 40 years ago. You've got so many platforms now that you could do activity on that it's it's super easy to fill 40 hours. It'd be easy to fill 80 hours. And I think that's our natural state. So that is the reality. And it's so hard. Like, so I slip into this. What I recommend is that every six months minimum, you sit down and do an 80-20 analysis of your life. You could just do it on one part of your life. You could do it on your whole life, whatever you want to do. And that's the re-identifying or maybe for the first time identifying what tasks of all the ones I do actually move the needle. So if it's what tasks actually get me more streams or get me more gigs or get me, you know, sell more merch or like, there's a lot of things I could be doing, but does liking every comment on Instagram, does that really make my business grow or my brand grow? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. So doing the analysis is the initial hard work. If you do that, you're going to have to come back in six months and do it again, because you're going to drift and start to fill the calendar. So I literally, I have them all on my phone. I have the notes app and I have a running 80, 20 analysis thing. It wasn't a Google doc, but then I just wanted it faster. And I just relook at it and be like, wait, what are the things that I said when I had, you know, clear head that was moving the needle forward? And then am I doing those things? So I always reference it. And then I love Tim Ferriss's suggestion to have a sticky note on your computer monitor or your desk somewhere and have two lists, a to-do list and a not to-do list. So for example, my not to do list includes social media <laughs> of any kind, like, like we're engaging in comments, it includes like checking email, it includes like all these things, because I have actually, you know, prescribed times to check email. So the not to do list is don't open up email when you're not during your set time to do email. For me, I use a platform called Kajabi to run my online business. And I have found myself it's like I'm in a daze. All of a sudden, I, I like wake up from this stupor and I'm clicking around through my Kajabi back and just looking at sales analytics to just make myself feel good or not. And so I'm like, why am I doing this? Like looking at my analytics doesn't do anything unless it's like my once a year, every six months, like let's do a deep dive and make sure I'm just filling the time. So having a reminder close to me of like, hey, you said these are your time suckers, or your time wasters for you. So don't be doing those. And then here are the things that really do move the needle forward. Are you doing those? Because at the end of the day, if I'm a musician, it's a lot easier to just noodle around on TikTok or Instagram and feel like I did something today than it is 
to write a new song, reach out to uh, another artist that I want to collaborate with or get in front of, or maybe tour with if, if they let us tour again or whatever it is. Like there's some scarier things to do, but that actually might move your career forward. And there's some easier things to do that you can do from the comfort of your own home that don't really move your career forward, or they could, if you've identified some true activity on social, let's say I'm picking on social, but if there's some true activity that does move your business forward, great, but make sure you've identified that and that's on your to-do list. And it's not just one of your time wasters. So it's so good. So uh, one thing that's really resonating about what you're saying is how, you know, the Parkinson's loss. So like things are going to like tend to, to fill it in. So really it's just about being intentional about what is filling it in. And so and another thing that that you brought up that reminded me of an exercise that I think is a brilliant exercise. And for myself, yeah, that's great. I learned just as much doing these interviews as as everyone else, I think. But this is a great reminder for me. I love the six-month check-in to basically look at things, just document. And I've done this before where I did a time tracker. I just like looked at, okay, like what am I spending my time on throughout the week? And that was like a hugely clarifying activity to be like, oh, wow, like I'm spending too much time going through emails or, oh man, I'm spending too much time looking at my text messages or I'm spending too much time yeah. on social media. And having the clarity to, to be able to look at that and say, I don't like, this isn't as high value of an activity as this. And intentionally, I'm going to put a sticky note and say, I'm not going to do this activity. I think it's, it's huge. One, one thing that I've seen before is, I, I forget, maybe it was Evan Pagan or someone that had this, like this activity, this exercise where it was like a pyramid. And the, the idea of it was to kind of figure out the 80, 20, but the way that they broke it down was in your business, you know, what are the $10,000 plus an hour activities, the $5,000 plus an hour activities, $100 plus activities, $10 plus activities. And you kind of break it down based on what it would cost hourly to pay someone to do those roles. So I think maybe like apply, uh, I'm probably going to do for myself and, you know, it could be a valuable thing for anyone that's watching this right now to do would be to, to do something similar where you track on a, every six months, look at everything that you're doing, and then maybe like fill in those activities and be like, okay, what am I doing here? That is a $10 an hour task. And then deciding, well, if I can, if that's $10 an hour, maybe I should hire someone to do this $10 an hour thing. And then, you know, instead spend time doing the $5,000 an hour thing for myself. I mean, there's definitely stuff like that, that, that I'm looking forward to, to digging in. So one, one thing that we talked a little bit about that, that I think would be interesting to dive deeper is this idea of that it's, you're never quite there when it's not like it just ends. Like you're like, you do this practice once and then it's like, okay, well, cool. I never need to like prioritize again. Like everything is like, how's this like continual refining? There's like an element to the 80-20 rule, right? Where it's like, it actually, it doesn't just stop at the first 80-20. It also goes like deeper and deeper. Yeah. So I learned this first from Perry Marshall. He's got a great book called the 80-20 Guide to Sales and Marketing. And if you want to just nerd out on like how this principle can be applied in practical ways. He's like a Google AdWords and, and Facebook ad like genius kind of guy. But I loved his approach of, he's like, yeah, 80-20. So find the 20% of your tasks that move your career or your business forward or the 20% of your customers or 20% of your fans that are super fans. He's like, but then do it again. Take that 20%. What's the top 20% of that 20%? You know, because it's lopsided even there. So that becomes technically the top 4% of the whole pie 
of your fans or customers or activities that really move the needle in an even more lopsided way where that 4% represents 64% of your results. So it's even smaller, it might be one task or it might be literally four customers or it might be like 10 super fans or whatever. These are the people or the activities that have ridiculously exponential results. So practically, if it's a business, it could be the customers that will buy you know, your album digitally, they'll buy the vinyl, they'll buy all your merch, they'll buy it in every color, every size t-shirt, they'll come to every show, they'll pay to come to a retreat with you. They'll just, they'll, they have endless amounts of money to spend and they value you so much that they will spend endless amounts of money, they'll find a way to get it. Those are the kind of people that you wanna do whatever you can for, you know? And it's the same thing with like products or a service, like, you know, you could look at the recording revolution. I sell online courses and membership sites, and I've had a, quite a few over the years. And you could say, look at this great product line, and people have bought all these different courses, and it's all great. They're all equal, but they're not. You know, there's one or two courses that probably represent 80% of my revenue. And I could probably tell you they're the mixing courses. So it was Rethink Mixing until I replaced that with Mixing University a couple of years ago. Those probably are the majority of the revenue right there. All the other ones have sold and are still good. They're just as good. I mean, I think there's as good and the results people get are amazing, but it's always lopsided. People want a certain thing and I need, I could just promote probably those and make the majority of my revenue and almost ignore all the effort that goes into promoting the other ones and not lose a whole lot. So if you can go down from the 20% down to the, the 4% of your total customers or fans or songs, I mean, you might find that you've written, you know, 50 songs or released 50 songs. And the top 4% would be like two of your top two songs that represent most of your streams. Even if it's 60 or 70% of your streams, maybe you should just double down on getting those songs in front of more people or doing more things with those songs. Like you might have more traction with the small sliver of your material that most people care about. And if you can get over yourself and knowing that, like, but all 50 songs are great, you know, just like every band, every artist, like all my albums are great. I was watching a documentary on, on the band Rush. I love Rush. And I was just going through the life of all their songs. And they've, I mean, they've released like 25 albums or something. And like, everyone has their own favorite Rush period of time because they've changed their sound over the years. They're very eclectic, but like, you know, it's Tom Sawyer, it's 2112, it's like two or three or four songs, it's like Free Will, Spirit of Radio. They've got like four or five of their few hundred songs that anybody really cares about at the end of the day. The nerds like us like all their stuff. Maybe some of the stuff in the late 80s is a little too cheesy, but like, it's really, they and they know it. And so they're going to play the big songs if they're smart because they are they just want to give the fans what they want. Or they could be jerks about it and be like, no, we're going to play everything from Caress of Steel that nobody cares about. And but they're not going to do that because they they know this is our top four percent of the songs that we're going to still make the ones that satisfy us. But at the end of the day, it's these four songs. So I think I think this conversation is freeing because it's it, the alternative is exhausting. The alternative is do all the things. Oh, there's another social media platform. Jump on that too and do that all the time. You know, you have to keep pumping out songs. They all have to be great. As a YouTuber, that could be overwhelming. Every video has to go viral. Every video has to be great. It doesn't. I've made a great living having five videos be good. You know, I, I don't know how many hundreds of videos I've made, like maybe five are really, I mean, I think they're all good, but only five have really made, moved the needle forward. And that's a freeing concept when you don't have to be prolific. You don't have to be amazing all the time. You just need 
a couple of songs or a couple of products or a couple, you know, slivers of your super fans to really move the needle forward. And then when you're in your business too, just a few of the activities are going to make the difference. And that to me is just weight lifted. I love it. There's so much wisdom uh, in this conversation right now. And, and, you know, one thing too, is like, you know, if you find out that two of your two or your two to four of your songs of your, you know, 50 songs are the ones that are getting all of the tracks are getting the most, that really gives you this opportunity to reflect and be like, like, what was it about those songs, you know, that that really cut through? And likely there's going to be some elements or some components of it that people really resonated with. There's a reason that those were the ones that they're really that had legs. I mean, for example, one thing with with Paradise Fears was, you know, we released, gosh, I think we probably released like eight or 10 albums. And our most popular songs were this a song called Battle Scars. There's a song called Sanctuary. And, you know, upon reflecting, what we realized is that we did something in those songs where it was kind of like it was 21 Pilots-ish, but it was before 21 Pilots, you know, really became a band, was this idea of having like a spoken word speech part. And it was something that we did in both of those songs. And lo and behold, that became a factor. We're like, huh, like that's something that really like, it seems like people really resonate with that. It's almost like poetry, like a spoken word thing. And it adds this kind of uniqueness to it. And so upon, if we'd never reflected on that, then, you know, we might not really use that as a tool as, as a part of our signature sound. So I think that like as musicians, as artists, especially if you've already released, you know, over 10 songs and you're able to see the stats, what are the ones that are really resonating? That gives you this clue to kind of go deeper and you can continue refining like over time, you keep releasing more music, seeing what sticks. It seems like one of the smartest, you know, ways that you can get more leverage. So a couple of follow-up questions in terms of the 80-20 rule and like how it can apply to everyone who's watching this right now. So um, one, I'm curious to hear, your thoughts on just like day-to-day planning and organization and how you prioritize your project planning and just like what you do on a day-to-day basis because you're someone who has really epitomized I think this this concept of being able to yeah five hours a week on recording revolution is incredible for the kind of, kind of impact that you have with it so so one thing I want to dig into for sure is just sort of lifestyle and like planning projects and what like how do you apply the 8020 rule there and then the, I'd also be interested in following up afterwards with talking about, you know, what is the 80-20 for musicians? Like, what are the, the really the key leverage points that we think that they should focus on? Before you like set out on a path of like what your goal is, like, oh, I want to accomplish this or do this or see this happen in my life. Don't look at those things compartmentalized. Zoom out first and say, what kind of life do I want to live? What kind of life do I want to build? And dream a little bit. Be creative. What does that mean? If you're single, do I want to be married one day? Do I want to have kids? Do I like where I live? Like the pandemic has been interesting. We live in Florida and like everyone's moving to Florida. So they're like, I don't like where I live right now. I want to get out to Florida or somewhere else. And so do you like where you live? Do you like the fact that you don't sleep but five hours a night? Maybe, probably not. Do you like that you're unhealthy? Maybe not. Like, what do you not like? And what do you want to change? If you could press, you know, the Staples easy button, like the magic button and everything changes, what would your life look like? And it doesn't have to be this grand, ridiculous life, but there's probably some things you would want to see different in a good or or a healthier way. And once you have that picture of it, then I think you can then have some context within which to look at your specific goals. And I love goals. I'm a goal setter. I love dreaming. I love achieving things. It feels good. And I think a lot of people listening and hanging out today are the same. Like they want to, especially if you're a musician or a creative, 
there's something inherently beautiful about the project element of it, like writing an album and seeing it through to completion, right? Or going on a tour and it has an end date, but it's like a moment in time that you're ready to push through and finish and accomplish. It feels so good to tie a bow on it, done. Even releasing one song feels good because it went from concept to writing it, to recording, mixing, mastering, album art. It's on Spotify, like, wow, like there it is. That's just, I think it's the way God designed us is to create something and see it to completion. So that's a beautiful thing, but you you can't just say, oh, I want to have a million streams or I want to be this or that without a context of your life. Otherwise, you might reach those goals and hate your life in the process, which is what most high achievers unfortunately do. They leave in their wake of success, broken marriages, broken families, broken bodies, broken you know he- mental health, like broken communities, all kinds of things broken. And then really, they're the ones that suffer too inside. Like They're like, why do I feel hollow inside? I achieve this and this, but I don't feel whole. And so it's because achievement doesn't satisfy that. You have to really zoom out and have a whole life. So the good thing about that is if you look at your whole life, then you have somewhat of a framework or literally a border around which you have to fit your goals in. So for me, when I started the Recording Revolution, I was leading worship at my church and it was a set up tear down church and we had a rehearsal space that we had to go get the trailer go to the storage unit on saturday mornings get all the equipment take it to the rehearsal space set it up rehearse for a few hours tear it down take it back to the storage unit i'd be home like one or two in the afternoon on saturday and have lost half my saturday knowing that sunday morning we have to go do the same thing but in uh, on the college campus where we met as a church and set it all up again and do church and come back and have a half day so i didn't really have two full days off. I had two half days on the weekends. And so I didn't have a lot of time with my family. And uh, I had some good counsel from an older gentleman say, you're gonna have to take another day off in the week, like maybe take Friday off so that you can just have a full at least one full day to spend with your family. I have young kids at the time. And that was when I was building the recording revolution. I was like, bro, I can't build a business in five days a week, let alone four, you know, and that was a challenge for me. But that was the first taste of well, you want to build this business. That's a good, healthy thing. You want to provide for your family. That's great. You want to get your music out. You want to keep serving your clients. That's great. But you also need a healthy life. You want your wife to be happy. You want to spend time with your kids and not miss them during those early years. This is your season of life. So let's fit your work into what's left as opposed to like achieve my goals and fit life into what's left. That's the whole Parkinson's law thing. So for me, all that being said, if you take the 80-20 analysis and figure out What's most important for me as a content brand, I know that putting out a new video every week is probably the most important thing I do. It serves my existing fans. It helps me to be discovered on YouTube and other platforms by new fans. It feeds the algorithm what it wants, and it pushes the business forward because I know that my free content sends people into a funnel that's set up to serve them products, to over-deliver, to welcome them into the community, and that feeds my business and that feeds my family. So if I could only do one thing a week, it would be make a video. And so I make sure that I have that listed first thing, Monday morning. If that's the most important thing, in my mind, I should do it the first thing of the week so that it's out of the way. First things first. Like my mom always wanted me to eat vegetables first, so I got it out of the way. You know, I, I want to do the most important thing first, but whatever the things that only I can do that I must do, like I do them at the beginning of the week so that if things fall apart, the rest of the week can be squirrely. And I can say, well, I didn't have time to do this or this but I got the most important things done. So I look at that front of the week. I look at that first part of the day. Like you can see the the pattern, like I wake up and do the most important thing in the morning. I've learned that I'm not really that interested in working after lunch, generally speaking. So if I have 
the choice. I'd rather get stuff done in the morning while I'm fresh and then check out in the afternoon. If I don't have the context of the life I want to live, which is I want to be home every evening with my family, off every weekend. I want to take my kids to school, pick them up from school. I want to be able to drop anything and take a vacation if I need to or want to. I want to be able to leave my business for a month at a time if I want to. If I want those things to be true, then what do I have to do differently about my business to still serve people well, still reach the mission of my brand and brands, but still allow me to live that life? So I start with the end in mind, the life I want to live. And, and then there's no prescription of what that looks like. And it probably did, it's changed from season of life. Like when my kids were at home before school, it looked one way. When they went off to school during the day, it looked a different way. One day when they graduate from high school, and I guess I'll be older, and then they, you know, we'll be empty nesters, it'll look different. This summer, for example, I'm just working one day a week on Wednesdays because I want to hang out with my kids during the summer when they're home. You get to make those decisions when you have your life in mind first. Otherwise, what's probably going to happen, especially if you like what you do, is you're going to fill up every hour of every day doing what you love, and you're going to think, aren't I doing a good thing? I'm doing what I love. And you're half right but you're not really living a full life. You're only living a work life. And as much as they're integrated in a lot of ways and there's overlap, you aren't your work. You aren't your career. If you do that, that works only when your career is going great. If that career is taken away from you, illness, the market shifts, nobody cares about your music anymore, or you just get tired of it, then your whole identity is taken away too. Then who are you? And that's a sad place. So you really want to build both. You don't want to say work is bad. I shouldn't have a career or any ambition. No, you should have an ambition that's healthy, but it's not ultimate. So you want to make sure you're building a, a career and a life. And then I think you'll be served well, no matter what comes your way. Oh, what's up guys? So quick intermission from the podcast so I can tell you about an awesome free gift that I have for you. I wanted to share something that's not normally available to the public. They normally reserve for our $5,000 clients that we work with personally. This is a presentation called Six Steps to Explode Your Fan Base and Make a Profit with Your Music Online. And specifically, we're gonna walk through how to build a paid traffic and automated funnel that's gonna allow you to grow your fan base online and the system's designed to get you to your first $5,000 a month with your music. We've invested over $130,000 in the past year to test out different traffic sources and different offers and really see what's working best right now for musicians. And so I think it's gonna be hugely valuable for you. And so if that's something you're interested in, in the description, there should be a little link that you can click on to go get that. And uh, the other thing I want to mention is, you know, if you want to do us a, a huge favor, one thing that really makes a big difference early on when you're creating a new podcast is if people click subscribe, then it basically lets the algorithm know that this is something that's new and noteworthy and that uh, people actually want to hear. And so that'll help us reach a lot more people. So if you're getting value from this and you get value from the free trainings, then if you want to do us a favor, I'd really appreciate you clicking the subscribe button. All right, let's get back to the podcast. <laughs> it's so good, man. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely resonating for me personally, and hopefully for everyone that's watching right now, super, super valuable. So a couple of things that came up as you're describing that were the, I've heard this analogy before, and I think it applies so well to what you're talking about with, you know, making sure that you plan the most important things first. So those things happen and then everything else can kind of fill the cracks. I've heard this described before, like filling a jar, you know, it's like you have these big rocks, you have these big rocks and you have sand to fill the jar. 
And the big rocks are like their most important things. Those are the needle movers. Those are things like recording your video per week. Or as a musician, maybe your rock is writing songwriting every single day, like for at least an hour. That's your rock. Then we have a million, like we have a bunch of sand, like little things and stuff like, you know, that there's comes up organic, like throughout the week is the sand. And so, you know, if we start with the smaller things in the sand and fill up the jar, and then you try to drop the rock in it then the rock, it can't, it doesn't, you know, it can't fit in, in the jar. But if you fill in the, the rock first and then you fill it around with the sand, then the sand can kind of take the shape around, around the rocks. And so that, that's one analogy that I really like to, to think about that kind of illustrates what you're talking about, of like, you know, figuring out what are those core things for you and making sure that those are the rocks that happen. And so much, I mean, it's part of the reason that I admire you so much is because of what you just said about, you know, not necessarily deriving your entire identity from what you do or your job, which ultimately is going to at some point change, most likely, you know, 10 years from now. I mean, 10 years ago, could you imagine that you'd be where you are now? Maybe, like, probably not. <laughs> Things change really quickly. And and so you're finding, finding a deeper source of fulfillment or a deeper identity than just what you do, I think is so, so important. One, one thing that I want to ask you about is... You know, I think for a lot of us, especially if we haven't really done much of this work before, where it comes to like, you know, zooming out and prioritizing and, you know, kind of looking at things on a higher level, we're just kind of going, we're just like day to day, we're just, we're doing the stuff and there's a lot of busy work and, and everything is, is happening. So we might not necessarily have the space to zoom out and to kind of apply some, some of these things. So I'm wondering what your process looks like or what you'd recommend for everyone here in terms of, let's say that someone's like, like, yeah, like this is blowing my mind right now. And I really want to do this work to dive deeper and figure out what, can, what should I prioritize and kind of zoom out, look at what I want my life to look like on a bigger scale. How would you recommend that they kind of create the space for them to really go deep? Would you recommend they like, you know, make a trip and like go somewhere else and like unplug or like, what does that look like for you? Yeah. I mean, you said it, you have to create the space. Like there's never time to do these kinds of things because you've probably filled every nook and cranny with what you deem as urgent, you know? So I, and I could tell you to, to take some time away and I'm going to tell you to take some time away to do this, but like, unless you believe that it's worth your time, you're not going to do it. So you almost have to really stop and ask, is it, is there something here that what, what we're talking about today that really makes sense? Like if I could identify the 20%, the truly important things that would move my work and career forward that I'm already doing that make the biggest difference. And I could eliminate or outsource or automate the rest of it. Would that be game changing? I, I can tell you from personal experience, yes, it will be game changing for you. You will have more free time and which will allow your, your shoulders to like come down a bit, have more clarity. When you have more clarity, you make better decisions. You won't be as desperate or which leads to d doing dumb things. Like you'll be able to see, you'll be able to take the good opportunities that come your way because you'll have margin in your life to take those opportunities as opposed to being like, oh, I'd love to take that opportunity, but I'm slammed doing all this stuff. I got to get on TikTok right now. So there's so much good on the other side of this for you. So if you believe that, then I would say, put a date on your calendar get at least a night away at a hotel. Or if you don't have a hotel somewhere where you can go where you're alone. I like to go to the beach. It's like my happy place. Just seeing the ocean allows me to just clear my head, but it could be the mountains. It could just be a nice field. It could just be a beautiful part of the town. Just go somewhere 
where it's not your normal space. You need a different visual space. Like you, 100%, I think. You can do this at home, but you will be better served if you see something different that will put your brain in, because your brain's going to be asleep. Your brain is so efficient. Like talk about efficiency and productivity. Your brain, the way God designed it is amazing. It's an efficiency machine. When can I switch off and just go in autopilot mode because it doesn't have to consume too much energy. And it does that. That's why if you drive the same way to work every day, like you don't, you like you realize you're there and like, how did I get here? I don't even remember driving because your brain does it for you. You don't have to concentrate. So if you go somewhere else and see something different, your brain's like, ooh, new stimuli, it wakes up. And you want your brain to be awake so that it will be fully present to help you think about these things. So I once a year get away usually in December, sometimes January, if December got crazy, I'll get away. I do two nights so I can get one full day at a hotel, but I used to just do like a night away and I would go like half day, let, try to get into the hotel early and try to do late checkout so I can almost get 24 hours. And I just, I walk on the beach or I sit on a balcony. I think, I look at what's working in my career, my business this last year, what didn't work. Those are two simple questions you can ask anytime you want. What's worked in the last six months? What hasn't worked? Write them down. And then, oh, maybe I should do more of what's worked and less of what didn't work. But it helps to see it. Also, check in with your heart. Like, have my desires changed? That's something you have complete freedom to change what you want to do. Maybe what you wanted to do five years ago is not what you want to do anymore. You know, that I'm a good example of that. Like, the recording revolution was the greatest thing that ever happened to me career wise and never asked for it, never expected it, didn't even know it was a thing that you could have an online business. But I fell in love with this thing. And then after you know five or six years of going at it hard, I was like, man, this is, I don't know if I love it as much as I did, but I kept going because I still did love it. But it took, I was in denial. I was like, no, you do love it. I wouldn't let myself have another love, which has been business. I love coaching people and their businesses, this kind of thing, like their lifestyle fitting their business uh, or the business fitting their lifestyle, I should say. But I was in denial because I was like, no, but this is what I wanted. Like I love and I love music and I still do love music. But there was another love, another desire creeping in. And I had to give my, myself permission to say, I know I, I love this too. And I actually want to go build a resource for people that were like me that didn't know that there's another type of career, even if it's a part time. So give yourself permission to check your desires again. What's working, what hasn't worked, what, like what goals have changed or not changed if your season of life has changed. But I, I would say do that in a separate location with a fixed amount of time. You will come away with so much more clarity that comes from a place of honesty and fully being a present and awake as opposed to at your desk or in your studio or at your home, wherever you have chores or rhythms or work or the normal things that you got to do. You almost have to break away from that to think clearly. I think that's why, I don't know if you've experienced this, Michael, where you think more clearly when you're on vacation or you're on a trip because you're somewhere new. And you're like, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start exercising. And those aren't like false ideas. That's like your true self saying, wait a second, I don't like something about my life and I want to change it. Or that's when your creativity kicks in. Oh, I have this great idea. But then you come home and it never happens because you get back into your routine. But for a moment, you were fully awake and had a really good idea. And so you want to get to that place again, write it down so that when you forget, because I forget, I have a journal, it's somewhere, I always crap on my desk. You have to read it and go, oh, that's right. When I was in my right mind, I said, this is what I wanted. I said, this is what I was going to do. And that's your own self holding yourself accountable. We all struggle with it. But I do think that can be a life-changing exercise. I would recommend doing it at least once a year. That's so good. Yeah, I, I love that 
that idea of being able to put yourself somewhere completely new so that you know, the automatic things that we just do without even thinking about it, our, our brains just kind of kick in and it saves us a lot of energy throughout our day-to-day life, but it's definitely not very useful for like zooming out and making changes. So it sounds like, you know, at least once a year, you'd recommend scheduling some time to really give yourself the space to be able to zoom out and look at some of the, the deeper picture. And absolutely from experience in my own life and business as well, the idea for Modern Musician came when I was travel when I was at an event. You know, I was at a Jeff Walker event, and a lot of the most important aha moments or moments of clarity was when I was attending events like these. You know, where it sort of sort of broke my routine, it broke my rhythm, and allowed me to sort of zoom out. And like a, a fish in water, if you ask a fish, like, you know, it's like, well, how's the water? They're like, what water? Like, it just is this way. I think like, you know, being able to separate from the day-to-day the minutia, like Graham was saying, is, is super, super valuable for being able to have greater perspective, greater space to really analyze and see, like, <laughs> especially the thing is that you don't really enjoy that much. I think, you know, like when you kind of zoom out and you're not doing those and then you kind of look at it, you're like, I don't really, I don't really like doing that thing that much. Or, oh, like, I, this is like my favorite thing to do. Like, it just, things get so much clearer when you can zoom out. And when you see the forest as a whole, rather than just kind of being in the trees, chopping down things and trying to maneuver your way, which there's a time and a place for it. But also, it, you know, it's definitely not the place to be planning and being be strategic. One last question that I wanted to ask you, um, just because I think it's gonna be super valuable for, for people as well, in terms of applying what we're talking about, which is... So on like a daily, on a daily basis, or maybe weekly, I'm curious how you apply um, the 80-20 rule to sort of to plan out each day. Like what does your regular sort of planning process look like? Do you do it like weekly? You have a weekly review, you plan out the week or like once a day, do you do a check-in or you know, what, what does that look like? Yeah, I think in terms of what, is, what does my work week look like? Like I think of weeks. So if I can get into a rhythm where I feel like my weeks are routinized and they're strategic and I enjoy them, then I'm good. So I'll once a year, usually in January, it's funny, it's usually when I'm on the plane to the NAMM show where I'm on the plane and I'm reflecting, I'm doing the 80-20 analysis and I'm like, what do I want my work weeks to look like this year? What worked about them last year? What didn't? So that might be the time I get into the office versus the time when I leave. It might be the tasks that I'm doing. It might be that I, I ended up doing way too many interviews when I really, or maybe not enough. I, I like interviews. I like hanging out with people like you and talking about these things. So maybe I want to do more of those and less like content. Maybe I was trying to double up on content, but I really didn't need to. So to me, if I can get my work week where I like the flow from Monday to Friday, whatever that looks like, then I'm winning. I don't think really monthly and I don't think yearly too much other than like pre-scheduled events or things that I'm a part of or need to do. But to me, if I can get a week feeling good, and then obviously the day as well, but my I'll, I'll include that as well. My days will alternate or be different. And that's changed. Like I said earlier, this summer, my week's going to be just one day and it's Wednesdays and it'll be relatively full, but it's like six or seven hours without really much of a break, just banging out six, seven hours, and then I'm done for the week. And so that's what that to me will be, will be a good work week for the summer. And then we'll reevaluate when the kids go back to school, if I want to keep it that way, even though I don't need to, or do I want to go back to a couple of days a week? That's super cool, man. So <laughs> we'll follow up on this at another time, because I'm just like personally curious. And it's super like, it's, again, it's like one of the reasons that I admire you so much. And part of the reason that so Graham has like a mastermind for businesses. So I, I joined his mastermind. It's been awesome. And part of the reason is because 
of the stuff that, like what you just said in terms of <laughs> you're planning, you're going to have everything on Wednesdays and like that's, and then the rest of the time, you know, you're going to have for spending with family and doing other things. So at some point I'd like, I'd love to follow up and just be like, if I do this, like, what am I going to spend the other four days of my week on? And how can I make sure that's um, really high quality time? And, but uh, for now, there's so much, there's so much good stuff. I think that it would, it would be uh, a good time to go to the Q and A and start answering your guys' questions that, that came in. So, man, this is cool. It's cool having a team that is able, like in the previous years, I would just go to the chat at this point and look through and stumble through, but shout out to our whole team right now. Who's working on the back end? They're incredible. Melanie, Ari, Jared, Steven, Eli, or like the leadership team. They're really putting all this together right now. So that being said, we got a good list of questions here. Confident newbie. <laughs> I love the, the names that they give people by default here. Confident newbie. Good for you for being confident as a newbie. That's really what it takes is like, you know, yeah. you're starting out, you're confident that, you know, that you need to take action in order to learn. So can you give me some examples about what you choose to do and not to do as a singer songwriter? You know, sometimes I feel like I need to do it all songwriting, singing, PR promo. So what are some examples maybe as a singer songwriter that would kind of fall within those 80, 20, the principle of like the things that are the highest leverage? Yeah, for sure. So the, the number one thing you got to do is write songs, right? So people, I think know that like, duh, but so does your calendar reflect that when like you mentioned, I think Michael earlier, like, do you write for an hour a day? Or do you have a day where you write all day long? Like professional songwriters don't wait for inspiration to strike. They go into their studio or their room and they sit down and they write and maybe nothing comes out, but that was a good day because they were in, but in a seat. And it's almost that intentionality of like, well, if I'm a songwriter, I should write songs. So write songs. Okay. And then work on your craft. If you're a singer songwriter, so that means you're actually performing your own music, sing, like in, enhance your vocal range and your vocal like endurance and like try different styles and just continue to like use the instrument and practice. So it's, it's just like instrumentalist, a guitar player should practice every day. A singer should sing every day. So you're writing songs, you're singing every day. This, the next step is like, okay, this is the modern music world we're living in where you've got a lot of people speaking over the next few days on like the practical elements of how do you do the PR? How do you get your audience to grow? How do you get your songs, you know, placed on TV? Like th that's why you're at the perfect summit for this because all your questions can and will be answered here if you just pay attention. And again, look for the 20% that you maybe need to work on, but you do have to promote your own music. You do have to treat yourself as a brand. You are a business. No one's going to do it for you anymore unless you're an A-list you know, celebrity musician where they can just write songs and they have a label and they have a whole PR team doing it for them. But that's not the, the majority of us. But the great news is it's easier, cheaper, and faster than ever to build a fan base, get in front of your fan base, and not have a middleman between you and your fan base. So you probably have to identify of what maybe you learned this these next few days or what you've seen work in the past. What of those PR tactics and promotional tactics have made the difference for you in the past? And then how do you bake them into your calendar? Is it, you know, reaching out to other bands? Is it reaching out to local radio stations? Is it reaching out to people that have playlists on Spotify? What, you know, bake it into your calendar. Don't just hope it happens. Like I'm not that smart, but I, if I can figure out what's worked and then I can schedule myself time to do it in my calendar, I'm like, oh yeah, I got to email that person or I got to do that then things happen magically because you're at least chipping away at those things that make the difference. Yeah, ab absolutely. You're definitely in the right place to have that question answered. And like Graham has mentioned before, and this is one of the reasons I was so happy that this was like the first 
kickoff session because you know everything that we talked about really applies at a high level to everything you're going to learn and it's going to be different for different people but um really refining down maybe at the end of the event you just go through all of your notes and you circle the top three to five takeaways or the top three to five opportunities and then you choose one and you're like okay this is my number one thing that i'm going to do as an next step as my action step based on all of these different interviews all the different lessons that i've learned then that'd be a good starting point, but you're in the right place for that. And I agree. I think songwriting is one of those things that's like, that it's so core. It's if you're making a list, what are the $10,000 an hour activities? Yeah. Like songwriting is, is one of those. So it's not one of the, you know, it's something to prioritize early on, especially throughout your entire songwriter career. So Radio Zoom, Radio Exum said, how do you avoid the habit of buying new plugins and hardware to get the most out of what we already have? So I don't struggle with this. Like I, I used to, but I used to, I mean, that's like the ethos of the recording revolution is I make fun of people who buy a bunch of plugins that they don't need because they can't get a good mix with the plugins they actually have. Uh, and I do that out of love because I, you know, whether it is I used to download plugins illegally back in the day, and then like my conscience caught up with me and I went and bought those waves bundles that I had downloaded illegally, but then realized I, my mixes still sound like crap, even with like the top plugins that every producer at the time is saying they're using. So maybe the plugin isn't the solution. Maybe I'm the bottleneck. Like I started to realize, crap, I'm just not good at mixing yet. Once I figured that out, I actually, actually found it really addictive to be like, how good of a mix can I get with the free stuff? Like I wanted to flex the mixing muscle and not have an asterisk next to my mix of like, well, maybe it was that super dope plugin you used. And so that's my own weirdness that came to pass. And that I think has bled into the recording revolution. And some people hate it. And they let me know they're like, you're an idiot. And then some people love it because they're like, yeah, this is the thing. Like he's pushing me to make sure that I'm not just wasting money on gear, you know, purchase after gear purchase, which is a, a distraction at best. It's fun. And you have some cool new tools to work with, but really at worst, and this is more likely it's a distraction from putting in the reps to get better at mixing. So it would be like, a songwriter who like I has to get a new guitar every month to be inspired to write a song. It's like, dude, it's a distraction from you just sitting down and writing a hundred new songs, hoping that 20% of them are half decent because 80% of them will suck according to the 80, 20 rule. So that's, I'm just, I don't struggle with it anymore to your question because I've realized, man, I've gotten good mixes with the free stuff and my students have gotten great mixes with the free stuff. And so now I, I see that there's no longer a connection between the plugins you use and the quality of your mix. So you're free to use the free stuff or the paid stuff, whatever you want to use, as long as you know where the mix comes from and that's from you. That's such a important realization. I think to understand is that, yeah, the most important thing, like the needle mover isn't the gear it's what it's your experience is the wisdom i mean that's certainly reflect like i've observed that as well like yeah we've got now we've got this fancy dslr set up shout out to luke roberts probably set it up he you know flew out and did it like i think a year ago but before that we had this like old webcam that like was just like you know didn't look like a professional at all and we were able to build a seven-figure business with that and so i see this a lot like the people who are the most successful, like they come back, they're like, yeah, like, you know, ultimately the gear is fun. It's cool, but it's not the most important thing. And then one common mistake, it seems like when you're starting out is, is thinking that the tool is the thing, like, like that plugin, that's the thing that's kind of leading to the success. I don't necessarily think that like, that you should never buy like a plugin or like, you're like pay, like pay for, for stuff. Like, well, clearly it's great to have like a Martin guitar, like a really nice guitar, but like Graham is saying, like, 
the guitar isn't what writes the, the hit songs and you can you know develop that skill like in a lot of times i think it becomes an excuse for a lot of people it's sort of it's like a way to defer responsibility because like well you know i just can't do i i can't afford to be successful so you know yeah, that's what it is it's an ex it's an excuse yeah. and and you owe it to yourself like you're worth so much more than that to lie to yourself and to delay and defer your uh, ability to grow in your craft whatever it is if you want it bad enough you can just have the humility to say okay i'm not good at this yet whether it's songwriting or promoting my music or singing or mixing like the people that get better faster are the people that are humble enough to say yeah i suck right now what do i got to do to get better and they really want to work on themselves, but it's hard. But if you want it bad enough, you're going to have the ability to be humble enough to ignore the distractions of purchasing things and then get good. And then I feel like if you get good, you should reward yourself with something you really wanted. Like there is something to having a nice guitar. Like I love Martin guitars. And I one day I wanted to just get the most expensive Martin guitar I could find. And so I literally went to Sweetwater and bought the most expensive Martin guitar that they, they sold at the time. And I love it. And it's just beautiful to play. But dude, I don't need it. It was just a fun purchase. But it's almost like a reward for like just the years of playing and gigging and like songwriting. And but you, you got to work on the craft like, man, you owe it to yourself. Don't lie to yourself anymore, whatever it is, whatever thing is distracting you. Sometimes it's not gear purchases. Sometimes it's coming to conferences like this. Sometimes it's, oh, I'm going to go to the summit and I'm going to learn all this great stuff from all these people. And then I'm not going to go do any of it, but I'm going to spend four days learning and not apply. And that's a lot of people too. That's the scary thing is like, I want you to come here. This is the best place you could be. But if this is an excuse for you to not actually work on your career, oh, like maybe you should be songwriting right now. I don't know. It's blasphemy to say, Michael, <laughs> not the great first session a piece of advice. All right. And the, the interview now. We're done. <laughs> cut, his, cut his feed, man. Cut the feed. But you know what I'm saying? Oh, like, don't let these things fill up your time and your calendar if they're covering up the thing you need to do. And that's, dude, that's just like life advice. Maybe the thing you need to do is sit down with your spouse and have a hard conversation or read a parenting book or go to the gym. But there's a million things that are going to distract you from doing that because we're, it's just change it sucks. And admit change means you have to admit that you need to change. And oh, that kills your pride. So there's a lot of deep-seated stuff that goes into just buying plugins. It's never just about the plugins. There's always something down in the heart that's going on. So we got a little deeper than maybe we wanted to go, but it's a real thing. I love the question. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that we got that went there. I think it's super important. I mean, that's like a fundamental human thing is just is facing fear, you know, in the underlying things that are leading to that. So I think it's super important. And and I agree. I think it's also really important. Like we talked about, like everything that you learn, don't let it be an excuse, like take notes, figure out what's actionable, focus on the tip of the iceberg, like the things that the 20% that's actually gonna move the needle for you and implement. And that's how you're gonna get the the most out of your time here for sure. All right, so we got a good list of questions here. I think we probably have about five more minutes to go through here before we wrap up um, and get ready for our next speaker. So next question was, I think it's pronounced Abija. It's a really unique name. It says, how can we balance cutting out the low return things in our lives with cultivating new things that may not have a high return yet? It's an interesting one. And there's a lot of ways to go there. I think you're going to have to identify the, the reality that there's some tasks that don't have an immediate return. So they're not very satisfying. If I upload a YouTube video, short of some people liking it and leaving me a nice comment that just feeds my ego, it doesn't feed my family, like likes don't feed my family, you know, but short of that dopamine hit, 
uploading one YouTube video makes no difference in my business in the short term. If I misinterpreted that information, I could easily say then I should no longer upload YouTube videos if it doesn't make a difference. And that might be true for a time, but then eventually my business, because of the model that it is, would eventually suffer. The reality is that the most important thing I could be doing is uploading a free YouTube video. That is what has allowed me to build this steady stream of discoverability. If you've ever heard of the recording revolution, it's because of my little seeds I've planted every day. It is a farming metaphor. If you plant a seed in the ground and nothing happens tomorrow, does that mean that planting the seed was a bad idea when what you need is corn? No, the re reality is you have to believe that it takes time sun, rain, time for that to turn into a, a full plant that then you can eat or harvest. And that's what's tricky about certain activities in your career is some of them look super important now and give you that dopamine hit now, but they really don't mean anything long term in your business. And so they're lying to you. And then some tasks don't have an immediate return. And so they're lying to you too, that you're like, well, I shouldn't do this. But really, they're the most important thing you could be doing long term. And I want you to be in this for the long term. Don't make decisions based off of what's going to get me famous or make me rich or feed my ego, whatever you need in the next month or two. What is going to grow your career and pay your bills and serve you well and scratch those itches in the next 10 years? Like You want to be setting your career up for longevity. And that might mean changing some of the tasks you're doing. So it's a great question because it's a hard one to answer and you have to answer for yourself, but research, coming to this summit, figuring out from the experts what actually does work and not getting defensive in your mind when they tell you to do something that they know works. If they're saying it works, it's because it works. So that maybe there's some legit legitimacy to it. Take note of it and maybe it's counterintuitive, but maybe you should try it even if there's no immediate returns. That's why you want to learn from the best see what they're doing and trust that maybe this is a long play because I've did it, but it didn't get me results. Maybe it's a long play. And that's the kind of life I want to be is playing for the long run. And it, it is challenging. And that's why you're always fighting the immediate, like, you know, post to this, do this fun thing, but you have to decide what's really long-term going to serve you best. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Especially because it does seem like there tends to be a lot of like the short term, the things that happen in the short term that make us feel great, like eating junk food and being like, you know, like things that don't necessarily, they're not necessarily the most valuable long term. So like having the, the ability to zoom out and kind of look at a higher, like a longer term basis and be able to, to trust the people who have built beautiful, who've planted the seeds and they're harvesting and there's beautiful plants and being able to like, they're saying like, Hey, like, look, you know, plant the seeds. You're going to have to harvest it. It's going to go for a while, but you know, this is going to turn into a beautiful plant. It does take a lot of digging deep, I think, to be able to have the faith to do that. And, and certainly I think the role of having mentorship and guidance from people who are ahead of you in your life or from events like this is something that can really help you make some of those leaps of faith that are really important in order to have that long-term, that long-term vision. All right. So let's do one, one more question here and then we'll wrap up for the day. So let's see here. Okay. This is a pretty good one. How often do you pivot or course correct in terms of what are your most important actions in your life? Oh, it's a good question. Yeah, there's some that haven't ever changed. There's some that are like pretty foundational. I hate change, by the way. So I hate pivoting, by the way. <laughs> I, like mentioning, like even starting the second business, I started this personal brand. It's under grahamcochran.com. And 
for some reason, I had such a limiting belief where it was so hard for me to make that pivot. I was at a, a mastermind group up in Maine. We got to this house together and we're all talking about our businesses. And I was at a place in my life when I was, I knew I needed to like start this other business or I was going to die inside. I, I wasn't, I didn't want to stop recording evolution, but I needed to at least start this other business, but I couldn't because of limiting beliefs, because I had all these fears of like, what will people say? Like the recording revolution guy wants to start another business on business. Like, who does he think he is? Or like, does he not care about recording anymore? Like I had all these weird internal scripts that were just driving me crazy. So it was hard for me to pivot. And I hate change. Like if I have a good thing going, I'll just keep it going. So speaking as someone who hates change, at the same time, I have this weird jacked up view that I love to like blow things up at the same time. Like, well, let's just stop doing all that and just do something totally different. And they're totally in opposition of each other. And so that I kind of live internally, like I'm driving with one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. And so inside, I feel like a crazy person a lot of times, but I think there's wisdom to both. And so I, I try to pay attention to both when it makes sense. At the end of the day, if you know, going back to like your big vision for what you want your life to look like, if you know what that looks like, are you getting there with what you're doing? Like, is it working? Do you, and if it's not working, is it because it's truly not working? Or do you have some mentors in your life telling you, hey, you're on the right track. You're not seeing the fruit of it yet. Like when I teach people to start online businesses, I tell them, give it two to three years before you really make a decision if this is working or not. Some people blow up in the first year. Michael, I think you're one of those brands that really blew up quickly, but I don't think you're the norm. And there's a lot of people who are really talented who are consistently posting content, doing their best. But I say, give it two to three years. So that's me mentoring them to say, you don't see the fruit of it yet, but just hang in there and let's reevaluate at the three-year mark. But short of that, if it's not working and people are like, no, I don't see this working anytime soon for you, why would you keep doing it? Be willing and humble enough to like blow it up and say, you know, that product didn't work. When I started Recording Revolution, I launched four courses before I had a course that actually really made a difference. People bought a couple copies of my first four, and I worked hard on those, but I kept like trying new courses. And it was my fifth and sixth courses that like just changed the, the game for my business. And that's when I started to see exponential growth. But it took me like being willing to, okay, well, make a new one. All right, that didn't work. I launched a course for the Graham Cochran brand that I thought people were asking me for. I thought it was going to do great. And I, it's a really great course. And I thought I would sell 100, 200 copies on my launch week. I sold 14. I was like, what did I do? Like, well, I didn't get it. But I, down the road, reincorporated it into a membership that I have in a different way. And now tons of people are enjoying it and accessing it and paying for it in a different way. And it made more sense there. But I had to have the humility to say, gosh, this is, this is supposed to work, but it didn't work the way I wanted to. But maybe there's another way I can use that. And that doesn't feel good. I hate pivoting. I hate change. That's my personality. Not might not be yours. But Again, it's all about goals. Like if, if I'm willing to pivot, if I'm not reaching my goals, if I'm not happy with the way my life's going, I have some control over that. Not all control, but some. So I'm going to take advantage of the control I do have and pivot and try something new. And dude, that's been the story of my career is like, I don't know what I'm doing. I know a lot more now than I did but when I started. But when I started, I didn't know anything. So I was trying pivot. And dude, that's everyone's story. It's, it's never a straight line. This summit's going to help you get a little bit straighter, which is great. You'll avoid some of the pitfalls, but life is just like zigging and zagging. And as long as you realize, dude, okay, nope, yep, nope, yep, you're accumulating wisdom and not just knowledge, but wisdom. And there's a difference, accumulating wisdom of like how to make decisions in your career and life. Dude, that's beautiful. You're going to get there. Yeah, that's so good. And I think exactly what Graham's saying in terms of like taking stock of 
your specific vision, your specific goal as the first point, and then evaluating, like, like we've been talking about through this conversation, like really giving yourself the time to zoom out and kind of look at things and be like, okay, where are things at right now? Where are they, am I, have I made progress? Am I going towards that path? Do I have a reason to think that I'm moving in, in the right direction? You know, it's like, playing a game of golf where it's like every time you hit the, especially if you're not very good at golf or it's a new game to you, then constantly you have to, after you hit the ball, it's not a straight line. It's going to go, it might, you may flank it. It might go completely off and then you have to kind of reevaluate. Okay. Well, where am I now? And where's the goal now? And then just keep swinging, you know, and just keep it and say, okay, well, am I closer now? Oh, I am. And you know, eventually you keep hitting it and eventually you can keep, you can get to the goal, but keeping that, yeah, like Graham said, keeping that vision in mind as the outcome, I think is one of the most important things. And that's the thing that might not necessarily need to pivot as often. Maybe it's just like the actions and trying out different things. And maybe something that you did that you tried worked really well. So you're like, okay, I'm going to keep hitting the swinging like that. Cause that seems like that's moving me closer to it. Awesome. Well, hey, Graham, dude, thank you. Thank you so much again for, for being a part of the events. I think this is the fourth. I think it's the fourth. I think we started this in 2018, 2018, 19, 20, 21. Yeah, it's been four years. So it's been awesome each time. And I feel like we've grown a lot. Oh, oh, here's one thing I wanted to say too, just to, for, for everyone. I think this is really important. So with Modern Musician, yeah, it was really quick. Like it, the business grew quickly in the first year, but it wasn't because, it was because the previous 10 years, <laughs> like work, we had been working our butt off with Paradise Fears and we had like lived in our van with some one part, like we put in the time there. And I think it's pretty much, I don't know, I'm very rarely will I ever say impossible, but I think in like 99.9% .9 of cases, people who are successful or have seemingly overnight success stories or really quickly, you know, they had a foundation or there was something that kind of came, that came before it. And it reminds me of one of, one of our artists that they're working with and in, in our coaching program, his name is Jason Tonioli. And you know, he's awesome. He's like one of the smartest business owners that I know. And he's a piano instrumentalist. And he, when we started working together, he was already doing like $11,000 a month as a piano instrumentalist from his music business, um, selling hymn books and just a really smart guy. And then over three months, uh, he had done $209,000 from his funnels. And he, one of his quotes that, that I, I think I've shared this like five or six times, cause it's just, it's so good is that he, he tells people like, oh yeah, I'm a 10 year overnight success story. <laughs> You know, because it was like you know, 10 years in, in the making. So I think that's a, a really important um, thing to take into account too, is that, you know, it is about planting a seed and taking yeah. the right steps. And, you know, certainly it's, you don't necessarily, you don't need to wait like 10 years in order to like see that something's working for you, but you're going to see progress as long as you keep stock and you, you're smart about tracking, tracking your progress. But it all starts with getting the clarity to look at your goals, look at your vision, figure out what are the things you're doing right now, the 80, 20 that are actually moving, they're moving the needle they're moving you closer to it and making sure that those blocks are prioritized and that you're getting those things done as soon as possible. And so Graham, yeah, this is great. I learned so much every time I talk with you. This is, it's been a, an honor having you on the conference. Appreciate you kicking things off. And yeah, do you have any final parting words before we move to our next speaker? Hey, just congrats to you on the last four years. This is an amazing event. That's why I do it. I think it's one of the only ones I do like this. And I know that everyone's going to just be served well by everyone on the panel. So thank you, brother. And I would just say like last thing to the people watching, I think you hit on it is don't be in a rush for all your dreams or your your goals to come to fruition. Like everyone around you saying you have to do it right now. And that's a lie. And that's just like the social media culture. It's just it's hard to ignore. You don't you're not in a rush. Just do the right things. Good things will happen. Mm. So good. That's awesome. 
Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.